and welcome to Just Doubt It, the podcast for people starting doubts. I'm Adam Miller and I'm your host. Actually, today I'm your co-host because we're joined by Anna. And uh, Anna is one of my favorite people and one of the smartest people in the Dow space. And uh, this is going to be a special news-only week because Anna has been a guest on the show before. So we're going to introduce ourselves and then we're going to dive into the news and we'll share our takes on the news and what we agree with and disagree with and what it means for people starting DAO. So very briefly, I'm the founder of MyDAO, which is a company that provides legal entity solutions for DAOs. Uh, And uh, previously I did consulting for people starting and operating DAOs. So with that, Anna, let me turn it to you for your intro. Yeah, thanks for having me, Adam. Um, I'm Anand. I currently do operations and marketing consulting with Bingless Consulting. And I frequently consult my friends on their DAO operations and internal incentive structures. Um, I'm a big governance nerd. I used to study um, constitutional design, legal philosophy, and, and things along that way. So I'm very excited to bring that into the DAO space and hopefully um, get to the stage where we have a lot of DAOs operating at fullest efficiency in the fairest way. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, let's dive right into the news. So the first headline for today is from Cointelegraph. The headline is, multi-signature crypto wallets are the safest bet for DAOs. You can't hang the fate of your decentralized autonomous organization on a single point of failure if you want it to succeed. Uh, let's see, Anna, you want to go first on this one? At this point of, of DAO operations, that's kind of like an obvious takeaway that multi-six is the minimum that a DAO can do to ensure its security. Um, it's also necessary from the standpoint of decentralization. And um, if we're saying that DAOs are these organizations that are um, decentralized and autonomous and uh, so no one controls the pool of resources the DAO has. Um, multi-stick is the bare minimum that um, I guess an organization can do. Yeah, I think what's interesting is this article says it's the safest bet, but I think to us it's absolutely the minimum. It's not the safest. Um, you know, of course, compared to having one person holding all of the money that belongs to your DAO is not a good option. And so doing a multi-sig like a Gnosis safe, where you have like five people or seven people or nine people, that's better than one person. But there's an option that's even better uh, for most use cases, which is to actually let the whole DAO control the treasury directly. So for example, uh, there's a lot of DAO platforms out there. I know one that we both like is Moloch or DAO House. And when you use uh, a DAO that's built using that uh, platform or tool set, everyone controls the treasury. So the whole DAO, you know, however much voting power you have, whatever the governance process is, let's say it's majority vote, then you need a majority vote of all of the DAO members to spend anything from the treasury. And so I, I think that's really the future and the vision for DAOs is why would you even want a group of five or seven or nine people um, holding the money when you could have everyone control it together? This this week at the East San Francisco, a lot of people have kind of dived into Moloch DAOs and it is definitely a superior solution to, to multi-sig. There's a lot of kind of questions that I guess both multi-sig and Moloch DAO options have to address, which is... What is the efficiency? Because sometimes we might need to like send smaller amounts of money or like we need the decision to be made faster. And so 
um, waiting for everyone who, you know, is on the multisig um, signer list uh, to sign or waiting for the DAO to reach, you know, the minimum threshold for, for the vote to pass and for the transaction to happen might be inefficient. And so I think both of these options have still to address the question. Um, I don't think, though, that, is, that it should be as difficult to address. I think a lot of the kind of DAOs, especially at the larger scale where they have a much, much larger pool of resources that are trying to distribute, um, they're starting to like fractionalize into smaller sub DAOs and potentially like share the, the smaller pool of funds with a smaller group of people, um, then therefore kind of allowing for the efficiency of the smaller projects to be funded at a faster rate. Uh, without necessarily compromising the security of that larger pool of resources. Good point. So like the DAO overall could give $100,000 to the sub DAO, which maybe the sub DAO is just like a multi-sig, like three people, five people, one person even, and then they can go and spend that money more efficiently. Thinking about like the kind of like where's the biggest security risk comes with some of the larger transactions, you know, like for that, do you really want to say, hey, it's okay if only like three out of five friends who own the multi-sig will sign it? Um, or do you want to require like an absolute consent from all five signers if it's like a million dollars, potential of a million dollars being transferred into a different wallet? Yeah, good point. I I've seen another solution as well. I think DXDAO does something like this. And we've had Sky from DXDAO on the podcast before, if you want to check out that episode. Um, what they do is they, they have a multi-sig, but most of the money is controlled by the DAO. Like they're like $50 million or whatever it is now. It's controlled by the whole DAO, right? Everyone has to vote through the governance process. But on a pretty regular basis, they'll vote to give a certain amount of money to the multi-sig so that it's there for then spending more quickly when they're ready to move forward. So maybe they'll authorize like up to $20,000 to sponsor some event, but then they give it to the multi-sig so that those multi-sig holders can figure out the final details of actually how to make that payment and is that the exact right amount, stuff like that. That's so awesome. I love DX though. <laughs> yeah, guys, yeah. guys super cool. Um, I, re I remember um, at Umcon this September, he did a little presentation on how to decentralize everything. And I think, you know, in, in the DAO space, me and, and it, probably a, a small portion of other people, they're like, hey, we have to make that sort of efficiency trade-off. So we can't just like decentralize everything. Nothing's going to get done. Um, and so when I started to listen to his presentation, I was kind of skeptical in a similar way. Like, hey, we, we have to still to, to make DAO a functional thing. Um, but then the way he, he pushed us to think to an extreme and then offer solutions that actually worked in the extreme was very refreshing and mm. um, kind of gave, gave a lot of hope that the DAOs can be this autonomous, fully autonomous and fully decentralized organization. So super excited, big fan. Yeah, and I remember one of the things that Sky talks about is not wanting to have any single points of failure, because I think that's what centralization introduces. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're using Cloudflare for DNS, even if everything else is decentralized, then when Cloudflare inevitably goes down, the DAO is down and no one can trade using their uh, tools or whatever it is, at least not through a front end. Um, and so the goal is to decentralize anything. It reminds me of something that was written in this article that I think is worth addressing too, which is the article says that 
um, by not having you know one person in charge of the DAO's money, you're eliminating all of the single points of failure. But I think there's one point of failure that still exists in every single one of these situations, even when you're fully decentralized, which is the smart contract. Right. It's not going to it's not going to fail in the sense that it's not going to do anything it's not programmed to do. But if there's a bug or some kind of uh, economic vulnerability where people had not considered some situation that could occur where someone would be able to drain the funds or get the smart contract to do something it wasn't intended to do. That is still the single point of failure, but at least we've identified it and we can work on an ongoing basis on creating as full proof as possible of smart contracts. What are, what are some good solutions you've you've heard of? To that, I mean, I think just using, I think it's a combination of things. Like one is, of course, like any tool should get audited at least once, if not more than one time. And they sh should just be really, really careful. Maybe minimizing features is, is one thing that helps keep something more secure. And that could be a good argument for using like Gnosis, what used to be called Gnosis, the safe multi-sig. Um, because it's, I think it's fairly straightforward. It's just a you know vote of n out of y people um, to take any action. So my my hackathon team, we were going through the Malik DAO contracts, and I think one of their kind of main value props was that it was very simple. Like it was a complex mm. thing that they're trying to achieve with the Malik DAO contract, but um, the code itself was the the simplest possible. So um, to minimize that possibility of a failure and exploits and um, worth checking out. And DAO House providing a front end for, for Molot DAOs. Um, I think there is still a lot of space in the DAO industry to, to grow and, and expand on, on Molot DAO front ends, but hopefully over time we'll, yeah. we'll see more and more of that. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think maybe one other thing I would add to look out for to be able to trust a smart contract with a lot of money is how long has it been around and how much has it been used without an exploit happening. And I think that's how we feel about everything from the layer one protocols like Ethereum, right, to um, the dApps built on top of them, including safes and DAOs is you know, like Moloch and safe are two of the most used uh, smart contract platforms, right? Like uh, safe for basic multi-sigs, Moloch and DAO house for DAOs, right? It's at least top five, if not top three. And so, you know, I think it's it's a little bit less of a risk to use one of those than to use, you know, a newer platform. That's very true, but also just to keep in mind that sometimes maybe the incentive just didn't, wasn't strong enough for people to hack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Check how that have been changing over time. Uh, but definitely right. all, all good points, Adam. Yeah, right. I mean, and, and so just to expand on that, right, if North Korean hackers are sitting there watching people using safes, knowing that there is an exploit, but just waiting for there to be a safe that has like a billion dollars in it or more, right, not being satisfied with like a $10 million safe that might be out there today, then uh, hopefully someone finds that bug first. All right, let's turn to the next article. This one is also from Cointelegraph. The headline is, Consensus commits $2.4 million annually to launch MetaMask Grants DAO. The employee-led DAO will take charge of issuing grants to external developers building within the MetaMask ecosystem. Consensus is the maker uh, of MetaMask, so that's why they're the ones doing this. And I think what's cool about this is, it, well, for one thing, it reminds me of something I'm planning on doing with my DAO. 
So, you know, MyDAO is just, it's a company, right? We're a Delaware C corporation and a Marshall Islands corporation. And, you know, that's how we're providing our services and, and building our business. But at some point, in the not too distant future, we want to create the MyDAO DAO. And the purpose of the DAO will be to, to take a share of revenue or profit from MyDAO and then decide what to do with that money and do something charitable or educational or community driven with the money. And, and that, you know, the members will be our customers, our employees, our investors, right? everyone involved in the ecosystem. So it's not the board and the CEO, right, guiding all the decisions. It's, it's really the community. I would call it like a side DAO. I've heard other people call it a hybrid DAO because the DAO isn't the actual organization, but there's still a DAO. Maybe that term applies in some situations too. But I think the side DAO thing is something that we're going to see lots and lots of organizations doing. I mean, it's time for Starbucks to launch a side DAO. And I think I've heard that they may be working on something like that too. It makes me so excited because in a in a traditional market, there wouldn't be a push for anything like this. You know, like you are already providing a service that is very valuable to people. You are, uh, you know, charging a fair price for your service, and that should be supposedly good enough. Um, but because you're part of this Web3 ecosystem, there is a push for the provision of public goods, you know, like education and um, kind of non-legal advice and, and for people to have space to come together and discuss and, and form their communities. Like, that, that is so exciting. Uh, mm -hmm. that, that's something that companies and organizations are starting to willingly do. And yeah. kudos to, to MetaMask. I think my entryway into the space was, was working for a hackathon platform. And one of the things that I realized um, is how like, well-positioned they were because so many of these networks and um, different like, tech solutions were dependent on how many you know, developers were building projects on them and that helped them grow the ecosystem, improve their technology. Um, so I guess like instead of, instead of doing a lot of hackathons, consensus allows people to, to now work for grants. And I guess it's a, like a year long thing. And if someone's very passionate about MetaMask, they're able to, to commit their time without doing it for free. Yeah. And I think just to play devil's advocate for a second, you know, in some ways, it's not that different from what traditional companies often do, right? Like the company I worked for previously, Capital Group, has a huge a fund that they allocate annually for only the employees, they call them associates, to decide what to do with, right? And every every associate can propose giving $5,000, dollars $20,000, whatever it is, to a nonprofit that they're connected to, go in front of a grants committee and the company gives that money away. So they're funding public goods. They're giving back to the community. I, I think though, to me, what, and I think a lot of people would say, what's the difference, right? The, the outcome is almost the same. And I think there's just one very small difference, which is, you know, most of the time it doesn't matter if technically the CEO's in charge or the board's in charge, because most of the time they're going to say, no, we're doing this for you. Like you guys do whatever you want. But in that one instance where suddenly business and business environment changes, the board decides, let's say they decide they don't want to give to a certain type of nonprofit, right? Like maybe it's religious or political or certain things that the corporate world doesn't want to give to. But in, in a case of a DAO, maybe at some point they'll want to institute a policy like that too, but they can only do it if everyone agrees to it, right? Once you've given power to the DAO's members, you can't change something on them unless they consent to it. Well, I, I do think if, if that's a traditional corporation and you have still some social reputation at stake, 
um, there's a higher possibility that you'll just, you know, comply with with the general course that an organization sets, whether it's a Web2 or Web3 organization. I do think like it's not a competition. I think it's awesome that there is a culture that kind of encourages organizations, whether centralized or decentralized, to take a part of their profits and allocate it into creation of public goods and creation of better technology. Awesome. All right. I'm going to turn to the next news story. I'm actually going to skip one because I opened it and it looks like maybe it was old news. We want to give everyone new news. So let's go to this article. (laughs) That's like me wanting to talk about Canadian hacker from 2021. (laughs) You want want to do it? You want to do it? (laughs) I just found it an interesting story. And then I went and started bothering people at LexDAO. Because so there was just some hacker in Canada who was a teenager and he stole a bunch of money. Um, I don't remember like if he started the project and then he rugged people or if he like exploited a bug. But then he was identified as the one who committed this crime. Um, But as there was no regulation in Canada and he was kind of promoting the idea that code is law and because it's a code, it shouldn't be, you know, like he, he didn't do anything. He didn't technically violate any law, so he's all good. And so I went like and started bothering people, asking them to explain that to me and be like, what do you think? Like if, if there was a court hearing, what precedent would it set? Like, is it bad for, for us and our space to have different cases like that come up? And then, you know, potentially unfavorable to the space legislatory decisions being made and that's setting bad precedents and limiting the scope of of actions things like DAOs or you know decentralized other organizations can can achieve i think the outcome was a bit anticlimactic eventually canada decided to arrest them or arrest him and he just disappeared so we never mm. had the never had the court hearing never no resolution was reached but I found yeah, a fun you know, story. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. One thing I thought was interesting about that story, because I remember that too, is, you know, part of what he was saying was, I only did what the smart contract let me do, right? It, so it wasn't, exactly. right? So, I mean, but yeah, to me, that's like someone saying, well, the doors were open and no one was there. So I stole <laughs> everything from the store. And because the doors weren't closed, like it's not a crime. So I don't know. I, I think they probably made the right decision to arrest him. And I think I, I, to me, philosophically, it might make sense for our laws to say, look, if you if you use a compu- computer software for a purpose that is clearly not what was intended, like any reasonable person would agree that's not how it was supposed to be used. And you t- basically like took money from a bunch of other people while you were doing it. Shouldn't that probably be legal? We, we talked last time on this uh, podcast, we're like intent. What, what is the role of intent uh, mm-hmm. in terms of how much it obligates us to repair the harm that we've done and um, be held accountable? Like, if there is no law, right, and we are kind of saying like, hey, maybe intent is one characteristic. And what if that person says like, hey, well, I wasn't actually meaning to like wreck people. It just happened. Like, I just was playing around copying someone's GitHub, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> How, it, how how do you think would courts and legislators approach cases like this? 
Yeah, good point. And I think intent usually does matter, right? I mean, that's the difference between like manslaughter one all the way up through murder, whatever, at least in the US system. You know, it depends completely on whether you did it on purpose, whether it was premeditated. Um, that, that determines whether it's just like a one year sentence or lifetime or death. We're sticking to intent, huh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. so. And I know I'm so excited. Like I know a lot of projects like Lagsdow are we're trying and them like your project too <laughs> you're working very close with legislators and you're trying to push for more DAO-friendly regulations so then when the mm -hmm. time comes to to some you know judicial rulings like that um they're not as detrimental to the space how did mm -hmm. you start working with marshall islands why are they more favorable uh and what's up with all the other places that don't want to do that yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, all of this uh, with MyDAO and the Marshall Islands started because we're connected with a senator in the Marshall Islands who is just such a forward thinker. He's been trying to get the Marshall Islands to be a leader in cryptocurrencies and Web3 since 2017, if not before, just because he's a believer like the rest of us. You know, the goal is not to create the necessarily the most DAO friendly legislation, the goal is to create the most appropriate and reasonable and sensible DAO regulation, right? I, I think the Marshall Islands is determined not to get onto blacklists like Cayman Islands and Panama, right, by helping people evade paying taxes or otherwise evade right, international rules. Marshall Islands and we are trying to create a regulatory framework that will be respected and hopefully copied the world over because it will help DAOs fit into the regulatory landscape in an appropriate way. It, yes, means it will be compelling for DAOs because DAOs want regulatory cl clarity, but it's not like we're trying to let DAOs do anything they want to do. We're trying to let DAOs do things that are reasonable, rational, appropriate, you know, um, in the context of the global economy. That's super cool. And I'm very excited to see how much that process of creating new legislature um, will depend on you mirroring what already exists in the non-DAO and non-Web3 world versus like creating completely new models. Because um, right now, I guess like with taxes, it's, I would assume they would, they're taking DAO contributors, for example, like freelancers or something. And then um, with token selling, they're sometimes trading as securities, which doesn't make as much sense. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see how much they will have to focus on whether what the system already exists versus like thinking up of new model. Yeah, that's a good point. And some things, you know, will not are not solvable by one country too, right? Like if you look at employment law, when you hire someone or pay them as a contractor, what matters is the laws where that person is, not where the DAO is, right? And so that's going to be hard for the Marshall Islands to do anything that changes the way a US-based contractor or Europe-based employee will be treated, right? That, that's going to have to come down to like employment law and, and related topics. And similarly with securities, um, I do think there's some impact of having clarity in terms of securities and tokens in the Marshall Islands for Marshall Islands DAOs. But still, the second that you are soliciting a U.S. person for what the SEC considers to be an investment in a security, it, it, will, it will not matter you know, what the Marshall Islands or anyone else has said, that DAO is going to have to follow that rule, at least while they're targeting you know, U.S. people. 
And actually, since you brought up the topic of the Marshall Islands, I want to go right to one of the other news stories for today, which is also from Cointelegraph. And the headline is, Japan's digital agency launches DAO to explore DAOs and Web3. The group added that it would consider the benefits and challenges of granting DAOs legal status in Japan, citing the state of Wyoming approving similar legislation in 2021. So um, very cool that another country is looking at DAOs and saying, um, you know, we should look at uh, what DAOs are about and whether we should provide more uh, regulatory clarity for them. Um, and uh, it, very interesting that they started a DAO to do this. I, I wonder what that really means when you're talking about a government starting a DAO. Did the government really, really give people like independence to do whatever they want in their DAO? Or is this like a quote unquote DAO that's actually still, you know, under the control of this ministry? Um, but uh, either way, cool to see what Japan is doing here. It was around the time when I was getting into Web3 and DAOs and kind of reading on Wyoming legislation being passed and seeing a lot of people being excited about it. Um, so it's, it's nice that it's having positive ripple effects around the world and it serves as an ins inspiration for even countries trying to. By the way, the article that I skipped earlier, because it turns out it was old, was about a hackathon. And one of the reasons I liked the article was because we just attended a hackathon over this past weekend. Um, and so I thought it might be nice to use it as a segue, which I'm now doing artificially, for us to talk a little bit about <laughs> our experience in San Francisco. Um, so we were both at the ETHSF hackathon the last few days. And before that was a whole week of blockchain-related events all over the Bay Area. So this was San Francisco Blockchain Week. I started out in Berkeley. Uh, I ended up doing uh, hosting an event about DAOs uh, in the city. There was um, another event, uh, and then there was a variety of events, right? There were probably 40 or 50 events happening all over the place, bouncing from place to place, and then culminating with the hackathon. So let me just ask you first, Anna, um, I mean, were there any highlights that you want to share from your experience in the Bay Area, um, especially anything that stood out to you as it relates to DAOs? First, the biggest highlight was having my Web3 friends over. Because <laughs> I'm in San Francisco, so it was very nice to to see people who I usually only see in Denver, <laughs> in in my home city. But um, in terms of the DAOs, I think we had a lot of conversations along the lines of optimizing DAO operations and DAO incentive structures. Um, it was interesting to meet a lot of really solid DAO contributors who've been part of some of the major DAOs and were extremely kind of unhappy with an incentive systems that were set up. Um, not in a like bitter way, but more just like sad because um, a lot of them would prefer to spend more time in DAOs and be able to to make that their like full-time um, job, for example, but not able to do so because, you know, the, the DAO incentive structure is not yet thought out well enough. Um, so that, that was kind of like one one learning experience. Um, another good takeaway was how um, we have some of the like major assumptions about DAOs, um, like oh DAOs are like democratic and and people are kind of like taking decentralized and uh, equating that with democratic and then setting expectations uh, that might or might not be useful for for the DAO governance and DAO operations. 
And that a lot of people are building a lot of cool tooling. Yeah, at the hackathon, we had like really cool examples. People were incorporating ZK into DAOs, which was um, quite interesting. One, one example was for voting, where like, if you have an NFT that opens up access for you to vote in a specific DAO, but then um, your vote itself is anonymous. So like you can prove that you're a member and you have the right to vote, but no one knows that there was you who voted in a certain mm-hmm. way. I was kind of thinking back to the, to the Ukraine projects and how uh, sometimes we had contributors who were like, well, like I really want to be active and I want to participate, but early then in early stages of the project, they were not sure how safe it was and like what, what reach Russia has. So they're like, Hey, like, can we somehow like protect our identities and make sure it doesn't get out? And, um, I, we were not running a DAO, but I was thinking back and was like, Oh, if we were running a DAO, it'd be important for us to have anonymous voting and kind of like protect the information about what wallets are participating in the DAO. It's all very interesting. And I think um, anonymity is one of the more complex topics that regulators are going to have to address at some point, um, because that's something that I think concerns governments the most uh, in some ways today, right? Because today in, in the non-blockchain world, if someone has anonymity, then there's almost, then, then you, they can do anything and you have no recourse, right? Um, you know, for example, if someone could open a bank account with anonymity, then um, that money would be going in and out and you don't necessarily know where it's coming from or where it's going to. And, and that's, that's it. Interestingly with the blockchain though, because blockchains are public and open and transparent, except when you go to ZK. So maybe that's an interesting um, uh, note to, to, to address here too. But if you're not using ZK and you're using a public and open blockchain, you can trace that money everywhere it goes. So even if this person is anonymous, right, you can track that money, those tokens from where they started, where they were originally created, all the way through to arriving in that person's wallet. And then if they try to transfer that money for a fiat, they'll have to go through an exchange where they will have had to identify themselves. And so in the Marshall Islands, for example, right, the government is comfortable with having most DAO members be anonymous because we know the trade-off is we can track the money instead of tracking the person. Um, so I think uh, I think that's going to be a really interesting to see how governments deal with. But then, then another layer on it is ZK, right? Once we have zero knowledge based blockchains and people can do things with more privacy, then uh, maybe we won't be able to have DAOs recognized by governments um, that have anonymous members in the same way. I don't know to, well, I know the basics of ZK, but I don't think I understand technology enough um, to answer this question. But is it possible to make a transaction from one wallet to another in a wholly, in a wholly like anonymous way? Um, because from my understanding with ZK, it's just like you showing the proof that you have something um, without necessarily revealing that, that you have it, but being able to prove that and not necessarily like, uh, and, and in, a, in this like DAO case, it opens up like you show that you have an NFT and that kind of like admitted you into the DAO. They know that like you're the real deal. And then does the voting itself Maybe because it's voting and it's not like the money transfer, it's possible to kind of just like prove that you're voting or like you're thinking to vote in a specific way without like sending that transaction. Um, does that make sense? Like how, how does it work? Like can you have a wholly like um, anonymized 
transaction that content like has a lot of money in its content or something. I, I think I think what it does is it, it gives you the option to hide as much as you want about anything that happened on the blockchain other than the eventual state change. So to your point, like the fact that now I own the NFT and before I didn't. But let's say in between there was a DAO voting on whether to give me the NFT or not, right? So if you built that the right way with zero knowledge systems, you can make it so that that voting process, I, I think, is 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 uh, totally hidden, um, but then still prove that the result was that it ended up with, you know, me getting the NFT. Um, but I think alternatively, right, if you include in the state change, right, if you want to store who voted, right? Part of the state change is, well, here were all the votes and here's who got the NFT, then you can do that too. So I think it I think it gives you that option. And then you can also always go back. I think the people who were directly involved in tra the transaction could always reveal more about the state later on. Um, but someone from the outside cannot without those people wanting them to. Definitely a lot mm -hmm. of area for legal concerns, but... Uh... I yeah, am thinking like authoritarian states, you know, like that's, you can do so much and without compromising the safety of people who are, who are working towards the right thing and democracy and freedom and feels like a lot of exciting use cases. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, right. I think the, what, what's cool about a lot of what we're doing in web three is there's always like the, what I call the evolutionary use case and the revolutionary use case for the same technology. So this is a perfect example. Let's say like Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley want to be able to do a trade on the blockchain of some kind or a deal without everyone knowing what deal they did, right? That's just evolution. That's barely evolutionary, right? We're basically just talking about TradFi on the blockchain, but you can do it. And so people even at JP Morgan are probably working on this type of technology. Um, the same technology could be used so that person A and person B living in whatever authoritarian regime can do a transaction without the regime knowing, right? It's the same technology. And I, I think that's another interesting thing. I don't necessarily want to call too much attention to it amongst governments. I, I think it's going to just take time for them to realize. But the same technologies that they are allowing people to build today because they seem mostly evolutionary are technologies you can use for more subversive and revolutionary purposes. And I think it will be interesting to see what happens once governments, I mean, first they're going to have to learn what, how blockchains work and what zero knowledge means and all this stuff that it's taken us a while to learn. And we're going to all the events and talking to all the people working on it. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. Yes. Dower revolution. <laughs> Yes. In that case, I'll share like one of my big takeaways from the week, which is, is very specific and esoteric, but I thought it was, it, it was just very interesting. I, I'm still remembering it. So from the DAO unconference that we hosted, uh, it was a DAO Planet um, event uh, at Blockchain Week. Someone brought up the concept of Harburger taxes and Harburger taxes. You can Google it, but I'll try to explain it. The idea behind a, behind a Harburger tax is let's say we all own NFTs. And those NFTs make us part of some DAO. The NFTs also have some kind of value on their own. Um, a Harburger tax system would say the following. Each person gets to set the price of their NFT. 
anyone else can come buy that NFT at that price at any time, which makes you want to probably set the price higher so no one can buy it from you. But you also have to pay a tax on that price. So let's say it's like 5% of that price a year um, to continue holding it. And so that encourages you to want to have a lower price so that you don't have to pay as much taxes. And this does a couple things, right? One thing it does is it makes it so that people are not going to be part of a community unless they really want to be there, right? Because unless you're paying, unless you're setting your price high enough, someone else is just going to come buy it from you and get into the community. Um, and it's funding the treasury because it, you're paying taxes and on, the, on that price. Um, so it's a way of like creating this market style equilibrium around what the prices should be of all the NFTs um, and giving people a lot of freedom to set that price themselves while also putting them into the system of taxes. So um, this was brought up as a possible solution for a city DAO. Uh, and so it makes sense that a city would want to, you know, even if it's on the blockchain, would want to look at something like taxes. Um, I was Googling uh, because the person had mentioned that Vitalik uh, Buterin, the Ethereum uh, co-founder, had talked about Harburger taxes. And it looks like Vitalik advocated for using Harburger taxes for virtual property and for NFTs, not necessarily for DAOs or any other use case. So um, that's interesting to note as well that maybe this is a uniquely uh, a viable system more for vir quote unquote virtual property as opposed to other use cases. I remember first hearing about it also around a year ago, and it was very interesting, also in context of NFTs. Um, I think for DAOs, it really depends on what is the culture that you want to set for the organization. Because even though when you, when you think about DAOs, it's like it's a decentralized autonomous organization. So like supposedly you should just think about the ways to automate it. Uh, for us, it's really just like the social aspect of DAOs and, and how people are treated and how much input they're given in an organization is what really matters. Um, and you know, whether it aligns with the ethos of Web3. And I think that having a tax, um, and it's not so much the tax that I might find problematic, but maybe the um, the idea that if you're not willing to put a really high price tag on your, you know, membership in the community, you're going to get kicked out because someone else is going to buy it. Um, and so it's, imagine if, if you're a contributor from, you know, not the United States, but maybe some other country and you're in a really cool organization. You work there for a year or so and um, you're thriving community likes you and everything is great. But then um, someone richer comes along and you're just not able to afford to retain the membership in the community that you're passionate to be a part of. Um, I think that will have like a very detrimental effect to to the culture, to the individual willingness to to be a part of DAOs. And so I would use that carefully. Just the idea of taxes makes sense. I guess it's like the same way you have uh, membership fees on like monthly or annual basis uh, to be able to, um, you know, replenish your treasury, keep your project going. Like that's all totally justifiable. Also, like people will have to understand that community management itself is like a lot of work and that work needs to be compensated. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it, it, it makes me think, too, just about the economic nature of a lot of the systems that we're building in Web3. And it's just a classic problem. Um, 
you know, I, I'm, I very much consider myself a free market capitalist in most regards, um, although I also believe very much in a lot of social programs. Um, but it, the conflict is there's so much useful information in being able to use prices on everything, right? Because it's a way of distributing resources effectively. It's a way of communicating information on, it's scalable on a large scale so that um, people are generally getting what they need and not using too much of things. Um, but whenever you use that system, you also end up basically to use that system effectively, people need to have money. Like that's the thing, right? Like it works really well. Let's say you it's just like a one week experiment where you give everyone a thousand dollars at the beginning and then you say, okay, now go like use the week, right? Like go do your thing, buy what you want to buy, don't buy what you don't want to buy. You'll end up with a really efficient alloc and fair allocation of resources. But if you start in a scenario where some people have billions of dollars and some people are literally broke and homeless on the street, like and then you try to do like a Har Harburger tax in your DAO, we're definitely not going to have any homeless people on the street in your DAO. And that might not be the ideal solution, right? You might want to have a DAO that anyone can join. Um, so I think that's going to be a big challenge for us is like, how do we find a way to leverage the power of economics while, while being more inclusive um, and not just making everything we're building available to people who already have money? That's very similar to to the conversation we had during my talk about the weighted voting versus like one person vote as a typical system in democratic societies. I, and I think the solution to that, like weighted voting, meaning that like based on how much money you have or like some other criteria, maybe like you were a core contributor at the DAO, so you got more tokens um, and you're able to have more input into the governance. It is not democratic. And it's important to acknowledge that, uh, and it's und undemocratic in a way that the power distribution is not equal among each individual. And so I think it's it's fine though. Like it might be you might have an undemocratic DAO and, and be okay with it. But one potential solution, if you do want to be able to have different people and give them some equality of input, is to choose criteria that your DAO finds you know, arbitrary versus non-arbitrary. And how, how a rich person is, that might be arbitrary in terms of giving someone access to governance. Uh, but for example, how much a person is contributing might not be arbitrary. So those people will be rewarded more in terms of governance powers. And so you'll still have unequal power distributions, but along the kind of moral criteria that you feel is most relevant. Um, and then for contributors who are richer, we are thinking, you know, about DAO governance as this ultimate incentive. And in some cases it is, it is, but in most cases it is not. And it's just like a nice thing to, to give away for people to feel like they're part of something. And if you just want to recognize that someone, you know, put in more money into your DAO, um, come up with some other incentives, like give them access into some like, I don't know, like extra perks or extra events or something like it can be social benefits, it can be so many other benefits than, you know, giving away your governance power um, that way allowing you to still maintain a system within a DAO that is somewhat democratic and, and have equality of input and all people that are trying to join. I want to ask you about what the word democracy means, since this is right in your wheelhouse and we're talking about it. Do, let's say you have a scenario where, okay, clearly if if it's one person, one vote, everyone gets a vote. We all know that's a democracy. 
let's say it's a system where everyone has between one vote and three votes. Is that not a democracy or is that just a democracy with slightly different weighted voting? Voting is a process for making decisions. And that's just it. Like voting democracy, I think we're putting in too much emphasis that like everything that is voting is democracy. Everything that democracy requires voting. Um, so that just like one, one thing to clarify, um, an important thing about democracy, like the, the core of, of what democracy is, is the equal power in governance, meaning each person has an equal say in how the decision-making on how to govern themselves, you know, will, will happen and, um, what decisions should be accepted and so on. And it is very important for democratic system like states to make sure that it's only one person, one vote and not weighted voting because they are odd, like at the moral level, uh, treat each person, you know, as, as equal to, to one another. Um, and that is because people, when they're signing up for something like a state and signing up, I mean that like imaginary social contract that none of us saw. <laughs> Um, but they're essentially allowing themselves to be coerced by a state um, and allowing their basic liberties to be restricted. And so each of us has like the right to human dignity, the right, the freedom of speech, the right to, you know, private property. And when you have government that comes in and, and says, we're doing it for your, for your own good, but um, we, for example, will restrict your right to private property and um, coerce you to pay taxes, which you might not want to do. And if you don't do, like, we'll send you to jail, but we will force you to do something against your will, kind of violating that very, um, you know, essential basic liberty. And for this reason that the government restricts us so much, it is really important that the actions are, are equal, that they are, like, legitimate and justified for the system to work. Then when we have a DAO, we don't really need to meet that, like, strong moral justification requirement because a DAO does not restrict anyone's basic liberties. The DAO is something that people can freely associate with, but also leave without any, um, you know, damage to their well-being or, you know, threatening their livelihood and so on. And for that reason, I think the standard to justify why it's okay um, to have some kind of unequal power um, in governance uh, might be lower, but in democratic systems, it just won't fly if you have some people having what, because weighted voting is essentially like someone having more power and someone having less power and having an equal power in governance. Hmm. It's interesting because I, I was just, I was Googling democracy and it, it looks like what, what I see is rule by the people is what everyone seems to be saying, right? The power is vested in the people, not in a monarch or a ruler of some kind, um, it so doesn't say anything about voting at all or exactly. equal. It's a source. Yeah, it's like the, the key premise of democracy is the source of authority are the people. And it's essentially like you and I, we are, we have our own free will and we're like unrestricted technically. We are, if we were in this like original position before the state was to exist, we would consent to be a part of the state because we see some value in it. And so because we are giving away that consent willingly uh, to be a part of the state, that's like 
theoretically <laughs> what is happening. Um, we are kind of exercising, you know, our our free will. And then when we are within the state, we have this like different processes like voting and also public deliberations, referendums, um, and a lot of other mechanisms other than than voting and those, you know, major uh, political inputs. And so we are using all of this to continuously give feedback into the system and kind of governing ourselves through that process. Cool, cool. Okay, I want to bring us back to uh, our news. We just have a few minutes left. So would you like to pick the final story of the day or would you like me to pick from the last few? You go for it. Okay, all right. I'm going to pick the tweet from Nouns Builder. And this tweet is announcing that now anyone can create their own Nouns DAO by going to nouns.build. All on chain, no code required, upload your art, start your DAO, create as a community. Um, for people who are not familiar with Nouns DAO, Nouns DAO is a pretty quickly, uh, very well-known DAO. They're not that old, maybe 100 days or something like that. Um, and the idea behind Nouns DAO is that every day, starting on the first day that the DAO existed, uh, one noun, which is their NFT, uh, goes for sale and goes to the highest bidder. And what that NFT gives you is membership in the nouns community, right? You become a noun or whatever you want to call it. And now you get to vote in terms of what that community does. And this has been to some surprisingly popular, right? These nouns are going for like 10, 20, 30 Ethereum. I think originally even more because every day there's only one and there's probably tens or hundreds of thousands of people who think it would be cool to be in this DAO. And so already it's become a very exclusive club of clearly fairly wealthy people, or at least people who have seriously prioritized getting into this DAO with a really big treasury because all this money goes into the treasury to be controlled by the whole community. Um, so uh, the people I've met who are in it seem to just think it's really cool and fun. It's gotten a lot of press, a lot of media. And until the last few days, I kind of thought this was a little bit silly. Like it was just another one of these like private social clubs, basically. Um, but then over the course of the weekend, hanging out with Anna and several other people, for some reason, something clicked in my head where I thought, you know what? Like, I really like these people. Like, I really enjoy hanging out with them. I'd love to like be in a club with them. And if I had to pay a little bit as my entrance fee and that fee went to giving our club a treasury that we get to decide what to do with, I'd probably do it. And it made me think, you know, maybe we should start our own, you know, nouns now just for our friends. And like, maybe people yeah, vibe dogs. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's, I think I saw on Telegram. I haven't caught up. You guys were talking about starting some kind of DAO. I don't know if you were well, thinking about they, using the nouns they were, model. They but. were just like, hey, Anna, you're big. Uh, for context, we had a small group chat for just friends and then friends of friends who are coming to assess uh, blockchain week. And then um, they were just saying like, oh, like we're going to help our leader, Anna, organize. And I'm like, yo, like I'm not a leader. I'm just like vibe curator <laughs> i'm like as long as you're it's as long as you're in the group internally it's very permissionless structure uh, mm -hmm. so then they were like vibe down <laughs> <laughs> nice interesting yeah and and i just wonder i mean what if you applied like an entrance fee to something like that does uh, and you opened it up 
does that make it better, worse, just different? Because the people who would want in initially would be just the people who really like Anna, right? Like if you want to be around Anna's vibes and have her be the vibe leader or whatever, it's just going to be the people we already know who like, we'd love for them to be part of the DAO, but then really quickly, someone else who's like, who self selects and says, I really want to be an honest DAO too, because I'm going to love these vibes. I'm going to love these people and I'm willing to pay X Ethereum to be a part of it. It's probably going to add value, right? And then soon we have a, a group that's even bigger than the one we started with and everyone has cool vibes and we have a lot of money in the bank. That's fair. It's, it almost feels illegal to because I feel the pressure to like, if you're in a Web3 space, everything has to be permissionless. And I'm like, but does it? Um, you know, I would, for example, not let people buy in their way into our group chat. Because um, some people, like, we have really cool people there. Like, we have really cool founders. We're all, like, hanging out, having really interesting conversations. Uh, and I don't think that, like, someone just buying their way in and then, like, shilling their projects and, like, trying to exploit this space that was created for like really interesting discussions and for people to hang out as their you know like networking place like i wouldn't want that and so i would not um put a price tag i would it would be interesting to explore though the idea that once you have this like curated community that you're you know a fan of and then maybe you kind of implement some like consensual decision making so for who gets to enter uh so like once we have our own like small little group then every new person who wants to enter, we're like, hey, here's the profile. Here's what they, they've done. Here's what they're speaking about and how they're like talking about Web3 and, and DAOs and stuff. And then if there's a concept of the group, we add a person in. And it would be also interesting to see how internally, like once people feel like they're a part of the group, if they can agree to start a treasury and agree to, you know, like put money into some some fun things you know like renting a space for a bigger get together or like going all together somewhere um to someone fun place um because most of the time like when contributors are already joining the DAO a system is set up for what they're obligated to do or not you know like for the entrance you have to pay if you're in the DAO they already have like every week like we have one proposal or like five proposals that you have to vote on and then the money are leaving out it'd be curious to think how you can make these decisions in a more democratic way with a small internal community. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. I was even imagining as you were saying that maybe uh, to build on the model, the only way for someone new to join could be that the existing group votes, so it comes to some kind of consensus to offer, okay, this wallet address, which belongs to someone we know can join. Maybe the group gets to set the price. And so if, if, if you know the person and, and you've talked to the person and they've said, yeah, like I can afford to pay a few hundred bucks. So sure, like set my price at a few hundred bucks and then maybe someone else we know can't afford it and we make it free. Um, and uh, at least then there's a small mechanism for building the treasury um, built into people joining. <laughs> From group chat to vibe DAO, honestly. We'll, we'll think about it. <laughs> yeah. So far, I think, I think... It also makes sense to not have a DAO where there's no need for it. And that's something I really advocated yeah. in, in the last episode. I was like, hey, yeah. if you can have a community of people working together very efficiently and like you don't really have money that you're trying to distribute, you're just like volunteers working on projects for Ukraine, for example, you know, you don't need mm -hmm. a DAO and all the like complicated setups and having to decide, you know, what 
who owes whom what and how much something has to be paid for. And once you scale, once you're trying to scale stuff, once you're trying to like solve a concrete problem of like funding distribution, then you start thinking about DAOs. So we'll yeah, keep it a group sense. chat for now with good vibes. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll see if, if we need to, to scale it um, further yeah. down the line. <laughs> Sounds good. The last thing I want to let people know about before we do our closing is at the end of November 28th and 29th, uh, Dow Planet, Dow I'm a part of, and, and my Dow are going to DecentralCon in Miami, which is part of Art Basel. And we're hosting the Dow stage of the event. So there's going to be a whole track about Dows. Um, in exchange for doing that, we've been giving a discount code that's valid only through this Friday. It's 70% off. The code is Dow Planet. So if anyone's interested in that, go to decentralcon.com. That's just the letter D and then centralcon.com. Click on buy tickets with USD and then put in that code, uh, Dow Planet, one word, D-A-O Planet, and you'll get 70% off through this Friday. And if you're interested in helping out, volunteering, speaking, just reach out to me or uh, come join our Dow on Discord. You can find us at DowPlanet.org. So uh, please do check that out. Um, with that said, Anna, would you like to uh, let people know where they can find you or your favorite projects on the web and on social? <laughs> this is so stupid. Out. This is so stupid because I promised myself that after the last fiasco, I'm going to change my Twitter handle so that it's not like this weird long thing, but it's still that weird long thing. So um, if you want to find me on Twitter, it's N-E-V-M underscore A. And next time it will be better. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. 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 And for me, you can find me on Twitter at zero X thriller. You can find our sponsor and my company, MyDAO at MyDAODS. That's M-I-D-A-O-D-S on Twitter or MyDAO.org. Please consider giving us a review. If you've enjoyed the episode, it helps us expand our reach. And I wonder if Anna will help me with our closing line. Um, for the audience, are you thinking about starting a DAO? Just DAO it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Just DAO it is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Just DAO it does not contain any legal or financial advice. MyDAO also does not provide legal or financial advice, and nor does your host, yours truly.